Leadership File on Premier. Welcome to the show which helps you lead where God has placed you. I'm Andy Peck. What kind of leadership is required of us in a cross-cultural context? If a leader is perceived as the one casting the vision, calling people to follow, how does this work when you're immersing yourself in a brand new culture and know very little? Well, I'm joined this week by Andy McCulloch, who is the author of Global Humility, subtitled Attitudes for Mission. Andy's thought long and hard about the kinds of leadership required in such settings. So wherever you lead and whatever cultural context you lead in, I'm sure your thinking and approach will be stretched by our conversation. So welcome, Andy, to the Leadership Farm. Thanks, Andy. Great to have you with us. Um, your, your book shares some of the cross-cultural context you've been in. Uh, so how did you get involved in cross-cultural mission? Well, I was born and grew up in Cyprus. Uh, okay. My parents are British. Uh, came to London and met my wife, who's South African. Ah. Uh, our kids were born in London. We were involved in church planting in multicultural West London, you know, the kind of street where we were the only white people, so very mixed area of London. Um, and then uh, the Lord called us to the Middle East and we've been church planting in a large city in the Middle East. So my kids don't know, are they from Cyprus, South Africa, England, uh, the Middle East? So oh, Well, you'll have, you'll have some challenges coming out. What sort of age are your children? Uh, they 15, 13, 11 and 9. Oh, great. Okay, well, so quite a, quite a handle. So, I mean, if a church feels able to send you into church planting, it's because, of course, you've shown yourself to be a competent leader. So I wonder how hard it is to suppress your leading instincts in the early years of immersing yourself in a new culture. Yeah, classically, it's one of the real challenges is you go somewhere because you want to do something, you want to preach the gospel, you want to lead people, you want to plant the church. Um, but the reality is, until you've spent some time getting to know the language, understanding people, understanding the questions people are asking, how how can you bring answers unless you know what the questions of people are? So Jesus, he spent 30 years entering, listening, understanding, 30 years listening, three years speaking. And I think the 30 years listening made his three years speaking very effective. <laughs> um, but without that time to listen and understand, you can't just turn up and, and start talking. But, but I mean, that's not something that's in the small print of your let's come and be a missionary kind of stuff, is it? It's not always made obvious. Would that be fair? Yeah, I mean, it depends who's sending you and what they're sending you to do. Um, but certainly for, from... You know, the kind of classical missionary. So Adoniram Judson, he went to Burma, Myanmar, and he didn't preach his first sermon for six years because he didn't feel he had understood the people well enough yet. Well, it is, it's a whole, we're going to kind of unpack this kind of concept. But I mean, you speak in the book of it, it being like a, a death, you know, feeling like death to, to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, Jesus said, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it remains one seed. And essentially, that's what you are. You're a seed who's being planted somewhere else. And so there is a kind of time of being buried deeply into the, you know, a British soldier can go anywhere in the world and he has the same routines. He shaves every morning. He drinks his gin and tonic every, but he's camping in the place. He never really puts roots down into the culture, but that's not what we want to do. We want to uh, be a seed that's planted, puts roots down so that the plant that grows there um, is local and indigenous and, and looks that way. Now, I mean, discipleship as it's um, all to be taught, perhaps, um, for all of us, wherever we lead, whatever we do, should involve death to self. I'm wondering if when you're in that kind of, in a different culture, you're kind of 
modelling something that maybe those in in less obviously different circumstances might be able to learn from? You'd hope so. I mean, over the years, there's always been kind of missionaries who have learnt stuff and then come back to the UK and and taught people. And sometimes it's been received and sometimes it hasn't. But I think all all discipleship is being on a mission. Uh, Jesus called his apostles to follow him and to proclaim the good news. So if discipleship is mission, then some of these things must be true wherever we are. Yeah. Well, um, getting into the, some of the detail of, uh, of the book a little bit... Um, you use uh, very helpful metaphors in your book. Uh, maybe you can explain uh, a couple of them. Uh, there's the concept of the scaffold, and then why leading is not like riding a bicycle. So remember, let's look at the scaffolding first, the concept of a scaffold. Yep, so that comes from Hudson Taylor, who said he believed that foreign missionaries, foreign church planters, are like scaffolding around a rising building. So the rising building is the local church. And so the whole point is that scaffolding is is important, uh, but it's temporary. And at some point it's dismantled and then used again somewhere else. And so the idea is that, you know, if you've got your list of things to do when you're church planting, it's kind of move somewhere, learn the language, preach the gospel, see some people uh, come to faith, uh, teach them. But one of the things on the list must be then dismantle the scaffolding and move on again. Yeah. And that's the bit that sometimes we... Uh, we don't do so you're not part of the building as the kind of cross-cultural church planter mm. the building has to be local guys local leaders local expressions of faith and not reliant on the west for its money or leadership or anything else and of course the apostle paul uh, you know modeled that a little bit himself um spending a bit of time certainly in Ephesus and Corinth, you know, there was a, a patch of time when he was clearly immersed in a culture, which of course was quite fairly similar for him. Mm. But nevertheless, you know, he then moves on in order to plant churches elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely right. And sometimes I think Paul stayed shorter than we often do and his churches lasted longer. So maybe less is more. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's true enough. Yeah. OK. And then um, this concept of uh, the leadership is not like riding a, a bicycle. Yeah, so I've ridden a bicycle in lots of different countries. Uh, I guess India was probably the scariest, but the, the 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 kind of skills are the same. When you can ride a bike, you can ride different kind of bikes on different kind of roads, and you take that skill with you everywhere. And sometimes people talk about leadership like that. It's kind of a skill that you have. You're a leader, you have a leadership gift, and you can use that anywhere. And I argue in the book that I, I don't actually believe that's true, that... Uh, leadership is actually a contextual gift. It's not just a kind of bag of tools that you carry with you to wherever you go. You can't take someone and say, he was a leader in London, let's drop him in the jungle and he can kind of lead the local people in the jungle. Of course he won't be able to lead them. He doesn't understand where they want to go or what they want to do or what language this, you know. So you can't just say this person is a leader or this is what a leadership gift looks like universally. It's always a contextual thing. And and I, I'm on the back of that. I wanted to ask you a little bit. And and I'm not particularly getting a, any any organisation, but it, it just happened. We we had a a group from the the John Maxwell Leadership School who were in the UK teaching leadership principles, uh, and and they're great folk. And the material I have to say is is, is terrific. But I guess my question is whether um, you know whether it's Maxwell, whether it's Bill Hybels, whether it's, it's some other leadership approach, whether whether these approaches can necessarily fit in any culture in the world. And I guess that would be my question to you, given that you've been in those places and you've you've had to immerse yourself in the culture first. Yeah, I mean, we all 
have something that God's given us or that's worked in our context and think, oh, I want to share that with other people. But the, the question is always, but does it translate or does it travel well? And actually, leadership is a really American term. It only appeared in um, a discourse in America after the Second World War. It was in the churches from the 60s onwards. So it's very new, very modern term and soaked in American worldview, particularly the kind of success narrative, the fact that vision is king, the fact that everything that's important should be uh, measurable. And and so some of those things are actually very strongly American. You know, a lot of languages don't even have a word for leadership. Uh, so in Turkish, it's liderlik. They just transliterate it. And that's true in a lot of places. So it's an American idea. And the challenge is it doesn't always translate into different contexts. Okay. And, um, and therefore, there's a uh, you know, just because just because we've learned a process and we're taking that process into some other culture, it's not necessarily going to actually um, serve the purposes of those into which we go. Yeah, and the you know the kingdom of God is about different people from different places having different skills and contributions to the big body, and so there's always things to learn from one another. But sometimes we can wholesale just import something and go, oh, it worked in America, it's going to work here. And the point is, well, this isn't America. So what can you learn from that but make it work here? Yeah. So, um, I mean, your book uh, mentions many other books. Are there leadership books that you've found especially helpful? Yeah, I mean, I think biographies are always good, looking at people's lives, at what God's done with them. Because when you read a biography, you can understand, oh, that's what God did with them. God might do something different with me. Um, so biographies are always good. Uh, but specifically, I would say Roland Allen's classic book, uh, Missionary Methods, St. Paul's or Ours. It was written 100 years ago. It was very prophetic then. It's still prophetic today. Uh, that is a very good book. And then also a, a kind of a, a secular leadership book, if you like, Richard Lewis, When Teams Collide. And he's an international business consultant who's worked in lots of different countries and talks about some of these things of what, what does leadership or team look like in different cultural contexts. That's an excellent read if you're involved cross-culture. So if people are looking for a pen, maybe you can um, <laughs> just remind us of that. So Roland Allen? Roland Allen, Missionary Methods, St. Paul's or Ours. Okay, so Allen is A-L-L-E-N or A-N? Uh, A-L-L-E-N. E-N, okay. Yep. And then Richard Lewis... When Teams Collide. Right, Richard Lewis, When Teams Collide. Excellent, good. Well, you're listening to The Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Andy McCullough. Andy is uh, the author uh, of a new book, uh, Global Humility, subtitled Attitudes uh, for Mission. Uh, and we're looking at the whole business of leading uh, cross-culturally. Uh, um, and even if you're not in a cross-cultural context yourself, uh, doubtless you'll be in other contexts that are not your own, in which you perhaps need to lead or at least thinking about leading. And uh, so the lessons that we're learning from Andy, who's who served cross-culturally, are going to be uh, really valuable. So we'll be back just after this. Well, welcome back to The Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm uh, joined this week by Andy McCullough. Andy is the uh, author of a, a new title, Global Humility, subtitled Attitude Submission. We're talking particularly about leading in a, in a cross-cultural uh, context. So, Andy... Um, in terms of the, we we looked before about the fact that leadership doesn't always, you can't, you know, you haven't got quotes leadership which you can suddenly plant within any particular culture. Have you got examples of leadership that you've seen that you might think actually, you know, that that that's a bit odd, but it seems to be working? Yeah, I mean, if, when you're working amongst the unreached, you actually 
see that kind of thing a lot. So in one context, we've got a friend who's a Russian missionary and he's working amongst Muslim unreached people groups in the Caucasus region. And um, he was desperate for uh, kind of people to join him on this mission. They're seeing a lot of people come to faith. And so they wanted some, you know, some leaders to help establish the work there. And so he wrote to the churches in Russia and said, have you got anyone that you can send me? And the churches in Russia said to him, well, uh, we haven't got anyone that we can spare that we rate, but we've got all these guys that have come through our drug rehab program and they're not much use here. You can have them. <laughs> so, and, yeah. And so these guys have come through the drug rehab program, come to faith, moved down to the North Caucasus region and are actually involved in church, planting house churches all over that region and are really being used by God. And so it's an example that people who weren't necessarily rated as leaders in one context have actually proved very fruitful mm. in another context. And we often see that kind of thing. So often you'll have a, I'll have a pastor in the UK say to me, oh yeah, she wasn't amounting to much in our church here, but since she went to China, she's come alive and she's fruitful. And so it just, I, I, they're anecdotal, but it does show that actually there isn't one standard of this is a leader. Mm. Um, and that has implications for how people train to go cross-culturally because often you think okay well if I maybe want to uh, lead a work cross-culturally somewhere in the future then I should uh, work for a church here and, and get some skills or learn how to evangelize all the rest of it but the challenge is sometimes you can learn stuff here but then when you go to another place you have to unlearn a, what, a lot of what you learn and then so that was my experience we were leading a, in a church plant in London we're part of the leadership team there uh, learned a lot of skills from guys like Maxwell and Highballs and who have some good stuff to teach. But actually, when we moved to the Middle East, what you find is you have to unlearn a lot of that kind of stuff mm -hmm. and then learn different skills because people are different. Uh, the way people relate are different. The way people need to be discipled is different. Mm -hmm. And so there's a kind of almost a, an undressing or taking off of some of the stuff that you've learned uh, and then redressing with kind of locally relevant methods of leadership so you know, what I seem to hear you saying is that if you're in a local church and maybe in conjunction with a, a mission society maybe you're you're not um, necessarily um, you know you need to be a little bit more flexible with the kind of approaches you may take I mean the, the old the old adage seemed to be we send our best people in other words you know if you go into a mission you need to have proved yourself in the UK but what you're saying is actually the call of God could be very different, you know, and that that if someone's got the character and the flexibility that has been proven, uh, what what they've led and how often and how long may be less important. Absolutely. And that's why I've called the book Attitudes for Mission, because I think the thing that we can train is uh, people's attitude, like you say, people's character, people's approach to uh, a multiplicity of cultures. Um, but I think just teaching people you know you, you read acts there's so many different ways of church planting in acts so which way are you going to use in your context well it depends on the context doesn't it and uh so often it can be like that yeah people say that you know, we want we want we want to do things biblically but you well which which bit of the bible <laughs> do you want to do them with you know because you can there seems to be a lot of models particularly as you say in the book of acts yeah and with leadership that can be so true because um, you've got two places where you've got the, the criteria for elders listed, haven't you, in the New yes. Testament. You've got 1 Timothy 3 and you've got Titus 1. 
And they're mostly the same, the criteria, but there's a couple of big differences. And one of the differences is in Timothy, it says he shouldn't be a recent convert, but it doesn't say that in Titus. <laughs> Why? Because Timothy was written to Ephesus, which was a large established church. And so to have a new convert leading wouldn't be appropriate. But Titus was written to Crete, where everybody was a new convert. So, of course, the leaders are going to be a new convert. Yeah. Um, in one of our contexts, we've uh, put a guy into eldership in a church in an unreached nation who's been a believer for three years. And you might think, wow, that's quite new. But the point is, everyone in the church is a newer believer than him. So he is able to lead in that context. Yeah. Yeah. Um, were there any particular moments in your, you know, as you were leading, um, you know, I was sorry, as you were going into a new context, completely new, where you thought, my word, you know, this is this is really really hard. Uh, I'm not sure I can cope with this. Yeah, most days. <laughs> <laughs> most days, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, where, where we were living is a really hard mm-hmm. place to be. Um, I have four children. Two of my boys are on the autistic spectrum. Okay. So there were some family things that were extremely difficult. Uh, we're back in the UK for a season now because of. Uh, my wife's kind of long-term illness. And so there's been real challenge, you know, it's the classic cross-cultural thing, but there is a there is a sense of um, challenge and sacrifice. And, you know, anyone working in any of these kinds of contexts would, uh, would recognize that. And then also I think you're constantly readjusting your ideas of success. You know, so you might go with this dream to see you know, thousands of people come to faith or whatever. And I mean, and that's the reality of leadership in any context. Um, but I think part of part of working in an unreached context is hold, trying to hold together faith and patience. You know, Hebrews says you inherit through faith and patience. And I think some people are faith people and it's like, boom, come on, we're going to see what happen. Some people are patience people and they, you know, William Carey said, I'm a plodder. I just keep on plodding. And somehow you want to hold both. You want kind of long-term faithfulness and resilience but you also want to also be open to faith and confident that God has got you there for a purpose and that you are going to see some things happen and so holding faith and patience together in that tension is a big learning really it's interesting for me that in the new testament we don't we don't know exactly the the size of the churches we give it we have a few hints obviously Book of Acts, early early time, three thousand come to faith, added to five thousand. But there there aren't loads of numbers all the way through. We don't know whether Philippi was bigger than Corinth, mm. was bigger than Ephesus. And it, it's interesting to me the the New Testament hides that num- those numbers from us, perhaps because it would be sad for us in the twenty first century to compare the two and say, well, that was obviously better than that. When actually the context really is is important. Absolutely. And I'd always said I'd rather lead a small church in an unreached nation than a large church in a reached nation. Cause I, you know, so I think, but again, it's to do with your your personality, your sense of call, the kind of place that you want to work. It's, we grew up in Cyprus, and Cyprus is quite a tough place for uh, evangelical Christians. Yeah, people face a lot of pressure from their families. And we went back and visited recently the small Greek evangelical church. Uh, the, the last time we'd seen it was 20 years ago. So we'd been there as kids and I went back with my parents 20 years on. And when you walk in and it's the same uh, the same building, the same songbooks, singing the same songs. You look around, it's the same five families in the church. 
same pastor and I think he was preaching the same sermon <laughs> and and all your leadership kind of training yeah. makes you think what have they been doing for 20 years where's the growth where's the development where's the success yeah but then you look at the context and you think actually praise God that the same five families are here praise God the same pastor's still preaching and he's still preaching the same and so actually success is faithfulness in some places and it's yeah. different but I think the certainly within the modern world we have a people want to hear news they want to f raise finance on the basis of that news they want to encourage prayer support uh, a lot of the unreached work is is f by necessity sowing seeds over many many years mm -hmm. and sometimes seeing very very little fruit um you know i mean i think of iran today which has seen the church growth ma massively in recent decades mm -hmm. but there have been missionaries you know, 50 years ago, and I assume, like, I don't know for detail, but you know, I mean, people have been sewing into those contexts. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, there's lots of different metaphors in the Bible uh, for the kingdom coming. And, you know, two would be building and sowing. So Paul talks about both in 1 Corinthians 3, doesn't he? But we often talk about building in the West. You know, let's build the church, lay foundation. Why? Because you can see it, it's kind of tangible. But often in the unreached context, you talk a lot more about sowing. And sowing is a lot higher risk. You throw the seed, you don't know what's going to come up and what isn't. It's a lot more invisible. There's a lot less tangible success. But the potential multiplication is then enormous because Jesus said, if you sow it, can multiply 30, 60, or 100 fold. And so it, it is about still holding biblical metaphors but maybe finding different ones than we're used to applying and you of course sadly you know you're back in the uk which is great great that you're here but i mean it's it's because of because of illness and sadness so you've immersed yourself in a culture and then you've had to come away that must be you know quite tough yeah oh we, we love where we were and we love the people we're working with and but again if leaders are scaffolding then actually uh being dismantled and taken away it, it will help us to see whether what we've been planting there will stand or not you know mm. um so yeah i mean we're trying to make the most of being in the uk at the moment so i've worked on this book i'm studying a master's in contextual theology um and we're not sure what the lord's going to do with us next but yeah. that's okay sure um you've you mentioned the book i mean there's a, there's a little section on leadership um uh, did you find was that the, a part of the book that was easy to write or one of the tougher parts of the of the book because you look at other themes within the book um, yeah, I, because I was because we thought a lot about leadership when we were in the UK, and then when we were there, we were leading in our context. I think you do think a lot about leadership and and the implications of it and what that looks like. And I think just the big headline learning is you can't just translate from one place to another. And I think at its most basic, just trying to help people to think about different cultures view leadership and success in different ways and so how do you apply that kind of thinking to your context where you are yeah. well the book again um if you're again searching for a pen uh the book is title is global humility hyphen uh, attitudes for mission it's malcolm down publishing yep so available christian bookshops and online somewhere no doubt yeah it's on amazon uh, both the e-version kindle version and paperback excellent Good. Well, thank you so much for, for what you've shared and for giving us um, a slightly divergent but a, but a helpful uh, perspective on leadership than perhaps we don't know we, we often find um, from people who are perhaps wedded to a particular structure and actually saying 
know you know the holy spirit um leads people in different ways and um he's clearly led you and you're you're thinking on this so thank you so much thanks andy so you're um uh, you've been listening to Alicia Fry again with uh, andy mccullough and just in case you're wondering the pronunci- the, the spelling and pronunciation of the, the name andy is m small c big c u double l o u g h and the book again is global humility attitudes uh, for mission uh, do uh, log on to premier's own website and you can listen to archive versions of a leadership file including this one in due course you can go to itunes too and download the uh, uh, programs uh, that have been produced on there from both archived and more recent and uh, you can even subscribe there so that you get this show to your listening device to listen uh, on other occasions other than Sundays at 3.30. But if you're listening at Sunday at 3.30, it's great to have you with us, and I look forward to your company again uh, next time. God bless. You've been listening to The Leadership File on Premier. Andy Peck serves as a tutor at CWR, a Christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply God's word to everyday life. Contact him via email apeck at cwr.org.uk. 